0: The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to
1: twoheadednerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is Merrick Scott, writer of Transformers Windblade, Toil and Trouble, and the upcoming Transformers to All R One. And you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt.
0: Sort of break it it down like good Broadcasting from the ziggurat in Omaha, deep below The metro area, we're undergoing a little construction Today, folks, some uh, minor improvements And you may hear some power tools in the background That's just the love Slaves hard at work, and it is My pleasure! They don't get free rent No, of course not, and the sex is just perks That's all that is, that's not like payment All right. for them Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, we're doing them the favor Welcome to THN episode 222 Where we're talking comics and nerd news For the week of Wednesday, September 2nd, my name is Matt Bomb, that is at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not yelling at my hypothetical football team on the fantasy field, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com.
2: And I'm Joe Patrick, that's at Joe patrick 116 on Twitter, and when I'm not getting ready to bring beeps back to my apartment after winning the THN Fantasy Football Challenge, I'm the former manager of Legend Comics and
0: Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. He's still recovering. This week, you're going to hear our reviews of Plutona, number one, and Toil and Trouble, number one. After that, we'll review ten of this week's new comics, Faster than super pro can break tom brady out of prison during the ludicrous speed round and then we'll visit the thn sanctum sanctorum where kermit the frog sits down with us to discuss his love of pigs and next week's comics and and finally it's weird right well we're gonna get into it It it's real weird and finally we'll listen to one listener plead his case for the cartoon network clone wars series in front of the two-headed judge in a little segment we call the defenders all that and more on this week's show, but before we get started, let's all take a crap in a paper bag, light it on fire, and mail it to Steven Spielberg because superhero movies are here to stay, sucker! And now we can talk about this week's big news! You really hit all the greatest hits this week. So wait, what? What we what? Great do here. We got big
2: news! The
1: funny- body- There was a
2: huge shakeup in Hollywood this week as Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios declared their independence from Marvel Entertainment and CEO Ike Perlmutter. Ironically, Captain America Civil War helped catalyze a long-brewing civil war within Marvel. What the hell does that mean? I I don't know. I'm glad you asked. (laughs) The Hollywood Reporter writes that Feige's years of frustration dealing with the famously difficult Perlmutter came to a head over concerns regarding Captain America Civil War's ballooning budget. The film, which is essentially Avengers 2.5, has been growing in scope and cast with the planned inclusion of several Avengers characters and the introduction of the new Spider-Man into the MCU. The notoriously frugal Perlmutter and Marvel's creative committee came down on Faggy and Marvel Studios to scale the film down. Reportedly, Faggy, the man credited for shaping the Marvel Cinematic Universe into the blockbuster franchise it is today, threatened to quit the company. Enter Disney CEO Bob Iger. Iger's intervention led to the reorganization that will see Feige and Marvel Studios separate from Perlmutter's oversight and report directly to Disney Studios. Marvel's creative committee, once a driving force in every Marvel Studios production, will now operate in a more nominal, consultive capacity. The hope is that Fage will now have the freedom he deserves and the end products will improve as a result. In the THR story, one insider asked, quote, New York had a big say for a long time, but hasn't Kevin earned the right to some autonomy? He's made the company billions. Why is he reporting to a 72-year-old man who doesn't make movies, end quote? Now, Matt, putting more trust in Faggy seems like a good idea, but do you think distancing Marvel Studios... From Marvel Comics
0: is the right move. I'm still a little fuzzy on what exactly happened. Who is this man? (laughs) So Pearl Nutter or whatever his name is. Like does he work for the comics?
2: Ike Perlmutter, Isaac Perlmutter is the CEO of Marvel Entertainment. He is the big boss of all of Marvel. Okay. So
0: now Faggy, and then is
2: under under Pearlmother, you've got Marvel Publishing, right? Which is Dan Buckley and Joe Casada and those guys, and then you've got Marvel Studios, which is Kevin Faggy. Now I'm following.
0: So Marvel Studios, boom, is like Pixar is to Disney. They yep. own it. Yep. but it's separate.
2: Yep, Faggy was fine with so it. So important to Marvel Studios that the CEO of Disney said, "You know what? We're sending you guys to separate rooms." Good, good. I think that's great. It 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 seems good, right? My instinct is like, hooray. But that also means that there is a disconnect now between Marvel Studios
0: and the comic side. I got you, but Figgy's been steering the ship one way or another yeah, and dealing with interference and having trouble doing it, okay, and has yet to completely drop the ball. (laughs) True. Do you agree with that statement? Yeah,
2: so just for a little background, the the creative committee that we talked about uh, was made up of president of Marvel Entertainment, Alan Fine... Not to be confused with the CEO. Marvel publisher Dan Buckley, Joe Casada, and Brian Michael Bendis. And then, you know, the, the writers of whichever book I'm sure would consult as well. And those guys well. are still
0: going to be there.
2: In a much more reduced capacity. You know, they were they had a lot of input on these productions. But the group also had executives in it that had
0: non-creative concerns. I think that is what's going to be the reduced capacity. is yeah. the executive bull. Is the people going, well, I don't know, that sounds expensive or whatever, you know, I I don't think
2: Spider-Man need to swing.
0: Yeah. Like, I don't see Caseta and Bendis being part of that issue. I think they were part of that group and they will still probably be part of Marvel Studios. They're just not going to deal with all the executive B.S.
2: I like to think that Kevin Feige is not the sort of guy that's like, all right, great. Now I don't have to talk to Bendis.
0: Who do I talk to about giving Spider-Man six arms? No, him and Bendis are buddies. Him and Quesada are buddies. I mean, I think this is excellent. I think this, if this gives them the freedom they need to do what they need to do, which they haven't screwed up yet. Yeah. Great.
2: Please don't start to ignore. Of course. You know, the source material just because you can. They could have done that before, though.
0: They could have. I don't think they
2: could have. That's the whole point of this story.
0: I I think they could have. I think Pearl Nutter is just a money guy. I don't think he was like, no way, Thor's hammer has to look like this, you know. (laughs) 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 In comic news, Comicsology has announced a partnership with publisher Kodansha to bring their library of manga to the digital comic service. More than 350 titles will make their way to Comicsology over the next few months, including A Silent Voice, yamada Kun, and Seven Witches, and Inu Yashiki Kodansha's library includes some of the most renowned comics in history such as Akira, Sailor Moon, and Ghost in the Shell. So this could be a huge step in bringing manga to a wider American audience. Despite how it may seem in some parts of the country, manga isn't always widely available in shops or legally available online, leaving many fans to seek less reputable and less reliable means of finding the material they want. According to Comicsology, New editions will be available digitally the same day as print. And there may even be some digital first comics in the works. Joey, will you be beefing up on your digital manga library once you have easier access? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's certainly a good thing. This is the answer to the problem. I am super
2: curious about Attack on Titan, but I don't know if I'm curious enough to want to read the comic
0: or if I just want to watch the anime. Man, the anime was great. I really enjoyed it.
2: I mean, I think it's definitely great. And, you know, I'm going to out myself a little bit here. When we were first looking up, uh, we were researching titles to to do our first manga review on. Right. And somebody suggested Tokyo Ghost. Mm-hmm. It's a new one. Right. But I don't think it's in print right now or it's on backorder or something. So I looked it up on Torrance nice Nights just to see, like, how much of it is out there. All of it. But it's so different. Yeah. Like, it's formatted so differently than, like, these nice Mm -hmm. chunk digests that you can just put on your bookshelf, boom. Pluto volume one, bam, got it forever. Right. And it was just staggeringly intimidating to try and figure out now, okay, well, what's in volume one?
0: Right. (laughs) Where do I start? Out of of 143 chapters, how many of these are in volume one? Well, and this is always the answer to piracy. Make it easier to J- get. Yes,
2: just let me get it. Make it. E- I mean, just what, let me ha- buy
0: it. That's what iTunes did. Right. And look at piracy in music has gone down. People be like, no, it's worse than ever. That's not true. It has gone down. The same with movies. Piracy has gone down. The first, make it easier to get. Second, find the right price point. And people will go, I don't need to steal it. Yeah, I don't want to jump through the hoops. I don't want to convert it. I don't want to figure it out. I just want to go click, read. And this is the way to do that. I think it's wonderful, and, and it's, yes, I 100% agree. If, if they just said,
2: here you go, boom, click a button, and it can be yours, yeah, then that is, that is the answer to every fan's problem that wants to get into this stuff, but there's a barrier to entry.
0: This is the right thing to do. Go, Smart move. Go Kodansha. Go Kodansha!
2: Kodansha! And finally, Marvel Comics has announced the latest Star Wars character to receive their own miniseries. This time, though, the series will serve as a direct prequel to the force awakens rather than taking place around the time of the original trilogy as usual everyone's favorite protocol droid c3po will star in his own solo series starting this december by the award-winning starman creative team of james robinson and tony harris i can't believe i said that out loud (laughs) remember seeing those set photos that showed 3po with a red arm and wondering what that was all about Well, wonder no more. The comic series will reveal the secret of the droid's new appendage.
0: My guess is he lost an
2: arm. Yeah, I bet it's real dramatic. (laughs) In the announcement, Robinson said, quote, that's a really exciting part of doing this story. I saw a photo of C-3PO with his red arm the other day, and I thought, wow, I'm the writer who gets to explain that,
0: end quote. (laughs) Matt, <laughs> I am having a tough time getting really worked up about a C-3PO solo story. What if I told you that Tony Harris was going to draw C-3PO with a huge dick? <laughs> am I just being a jerk or what? <laughs> yeah, you are. And here's why. Prequel to The Force Awakens. It wouldn't matter if this starred Nien Nub or the Roller Skate <laughs> Droid. Wait, this no. is a prequel to The Force Awakens. Yes, right, right, right.
2: I get it. But there's a there's. A prequel to The Force Awakens, like this uh, Star Wars thing that's coming out next week from Greg Rucka. Right. And then there's like,
0: this takes place before The Force Awakens, Luke goes to get a taco. You don't, but oh yeah, I'm sure that's where they're going to go with this. I'm just saying. I'm that, sure it's going to be, it's going to be six issues of C-3PO translating binary documents, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, this is going to be awesome. It's by one of your favorite writers and one of both of our favorite artists. It's- I don't understand what's wrong with you. This is going to be great. This is, and C3PO is the central character of all the Star
2: Wars stories. All right, I'm going to out myself a little bit here. I don't give a. C3PO. I don't care what you think.
0: <laughs> it's the truth. He's like the main character that
2: brings everybody together and yeah, guides yeah, yeah. everyone. All right, fine, 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 fine. But this is what's wrong with me. This don't is my hand. Don't you want to know what it's wrong because it's arm? I mean, come on. This is what's wrong with me. <laughs> it's red, Joe. Why is it? c three PO. Like, okay. I'll buy it like you can't do a Luke solo series. You can't do a Leia. Oh, you did a Leia already. Right. Yeah. So actually, I take it back. You can. Why are we getting a C-3PO series and not one? Like, where's my Han Solo solo story? You'll
0: get there. He's going to bridge the gap. I'll tell you why. Because C-3PO has something huge to do with the Force Awakens. That's why. How can you not see this? But seriously, why do you think it's C three PO? Because he has a gigantic part in this. Do you think that the Lando
2: miniseries is going to have a real deep impact on the Force Awakens? No, I think the Lando miniseries is a cool way
0: to sell me comics with Lando in it, and that's fine. That's all I want. I don't buy it, man. I I don't. (sighs) You're wrong here. You're going to read it. You're going to say I was wrong. I'm not even saying
2: it's. I'm not even saying that I won't enjoy it or that it won't be good. Because yes, I do love those creators. I, I have a hard time believing that the C-3PO solo adventure we've all been clamoring for is going to be a key
0: component of the year's most anticipated movie it's going to be a key component I'm telling you he's going to be a huge part of the movie
2: I'll be there to pick you up when you (laughs) fall
0: that is the big news for this week if you want to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed Hit us up at the THN forums where Joe will be posting a heartfelt apology to all our gay robot listeners for his insensitive, anti-robosexual comments. Every week, the blatantly robophobic Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in the THN forums for both humans and droids to discuss whether he likes it or not. Joey, what are we asking the listeners this week?
2: It's Han and Leia, not Han and IG-88, Matt. <laughs> This week's question comes courtesy of Wooly Toots, and we're going to uh, get back on the collecting side of things, which we don't do we don't too do. often on the show. Yeah, we don't touch it too often. So for the listeners that have experience collecting, or at least
0: accumulating print comics... Aaron Myers, who uh, his entire internet existence is based on it. It's I, true. I, I would like to hear from him.
2: How do you go about filing, storing, and preserving your collection, or do you even bother at all?
0: Just let them pile up.
2: You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, September 14th to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype. The handle is 2 nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. If you're feeling fancy, there you, you can send an mp3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com whatever you choose. You've got about two minutes because Matt just can't let it go. That's damn right. If you need more time, we've got the THN forums. We've got a question of the week subsection. You can go there, write whatever you want in detail. And then next week, tune in on Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN answer of the week podcast. Now, listen. I'm not trying to deny anybody the opportunity to participate in the answer of the week, but I'm just going to put this out there. I don't know where he's going, folks. If you don't actually have any input on this topic. You do not have to feel obligated. Yeah. Sit on your phone. Relax. Listen, just let us entertain you for a while. Just see what everybody has to say. That said, let us have it. It's fine. But (laughs) look, if you don't care about collecting and you don't have anything to say, don't call up and say, I don't care about collecting. I don't have anything to say.
0: And this show sucks. Screw you guys. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Although I would totally play it. (laughs) Yeah, we probably would. It's review time
2: on THN, where Matt and I talk about Shakespearean literary themes and dead superheroines. Matt, you hold the conch, so it's your turn to speak. You know that's not a Shakespeare reference, right?
0: No, that's uh, Lord of the Flies. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. That's why it's fun. Okay. All right. Comedy, Toil and Trouble, number one from Boom slash Archaea. That's what I'm reviewing this week. Written by Mergrid Scott, a name I'm pretty sure we butchered last time we talked about her with Art. By Kelly and Nicole Matthews. They are twin sisters. Yeah. Isn't pretty that great. Cute? Yeah. 32 pages, 399. Comic book genres are weird, folks. Way weirder than music or other art genres. You don't believe me? There's a whole line of gay zombie porn comics and a whole line of gay zombie survival porn comics out there to back up both my <laughs> statements. <laughs> Here we encounter another strange genre. Comics that take place in the Shakespeare universe. And like gay zombie survival porn, Toil and Trouble is not alone. The most recent I can remember reading was IDW's Kill Shakespeare, a group of three miniseries that took place in the Shakespeare U that featured almost all of his characters. It was great, but I admit, at the risk of destroying my literary credibility, Kill Shakespeare was way over my head, and I stopped Look, reading it midway through the I'm second minute. I'm just going
2: to stop right here and say, for the record, I am not a Shakespeare person. Okay.
0: So, you're not alone in this. I mean, like, I read a bunch of Shakespeare in high school. Yeah, I've read, I, I read, read, sounds... read a bunch. Oh, we go to Shakespeare in the green, you know? Like, I like Macbeth. Othello's probably my favorite. I know the big ones, but I never not me, man. I never really I dug just, into it. It just never clicked with me. Well, you're a simple man. We agree with that, right?
2: No, I'm not a simple man. I'm complex. I'm
0: made up of layers. Simple. Toil and Trouble, on the other hand, takes place during one of Shakespeare's best-known works, Macbeth, and retells the story from the witch's perspective. I don't recall the three witches being named in the play, which is probably further damage to my literary cred if they are, but here, Scott names them Smyrta, Riata, and Kate. Here, the witches are portrayed more as victims rather than cackling crones cursing kingdoms. Yes, the dialogue is Shakespearean in nature, but it doesn't get in the way or leave a dummy like me scratching my head. That's parts of kill Shakespeare. They don't go full Shakespeare. No, they don't go full Shakespeare. Scott gently incorporates the flowery dialogue into the story to give this the magical sort of Celtic fairy tale feel of the original tragedy. The narrator Smirte has just returned from a nine-year exile, and though we're not told why, as the story progresses, Scott drops plenty of clues as to what happened and how much she will be affecting the story from here on forward. Kelly and Nicole Matthews do a wonderful job on Art Here, creating a sweeping, brightly colored magical landscape for the witches and the two armies that are about to meet. There are some wonderful scenes of Smirte and Kate walking unseen through a military compound, gently doling out small curses to ensure the proper victory. Like they walk up and touch a, a cooking pig on a spit and there's sort of like a blown out window where you see like, Oh, it's rotting a little bit here. Yeah. And she like touches a guy's head and he like, you can see there's like something he's going to make him sick or weak or something.
2: Uh, well, the, that was the rotting pig, right? Yeah. And then the, there was another one uh, in that same scene where she touches a dude and um the the little inset shows a sword about to go into his eye yeah and then a few pages later during the battle you see a dude yeah with a mustache just totally getting stabbed in the hey, eye yeah
0: and that was really cool it was it was it was neat because they instead of the witches like cursing the kingdom or cursing the armies they sort of deal with it like they are gently guiding the fate of the country and this is their job this is what they have to do but they're not allowed to interfere Too much. Like, they're not, there's rules. They can't just go give a guy superpowers so he can become way more powerful than he would have on his own, which is interesting. I like it. It's a great twist on a timeless classic, and the creative team is doing a wonderful job of working within Shakespeare's story while keeping the book fresh for those who have never read Macbeth. I enjoyed this way more than I thought I would. I had no. I thought I was going to review this as part of my five and I read it and went, man, this is great. I'm giving it a buy it.
2: I I saw it on the list. I saw the cover and I saw a little preview and I went, oh man, Uh, Shakespeare with a twist. (laughs) (laughs) Not my thing. Uh, is rolling back in head. Yeah. Not that I have anything against it. It's just, look, I'll be the first to admit it. It's not my thing. I read it. I loved it. It was great. The art is amazing. Really? Those twins. Beautiful. Beautiful art. Scott's script. It's like you said, it's, it's not dumbed down, No, but it's presented in a, in a vernacular that I can latch onto while still seeming true to the roots of the original story. Right. And I've never read all the way, uh, maybe I did in high school, but I wasn't really paying attention. (laughs) So I, I sort of read Macbeth in high school. I don't remember about it other than it stars a dude named Macbeth and there's witches and uh yeah, I was, well yeah <laughs> i was right there with it this whole time and it not only was it a very smart read with a lot of subtle neat little events that shaped the story but it was also badass action scenes yeah it was great and that like not to get too spoilery but that end action scene where, with Macbeth, where he shows his stuff but he's not fully in control breathtaking very cool i thought it was amazing very cool i'm huge by it joe patrick your turn. All right. The conscious mind. Plutona number one from image comics written by Jeff Lemire with art by Emmy Lennox. The buzz behind Plutona since its announcement has been that it sounds like stand by me, but with superheroes, it's a description that is 100% fitting. But while the story does feel very familiar for someone that grew up with that movie, it doesn't feel stale. Lemire spends pretty much the entire issue introducing the main cast and letting you into their lives. Like the film inspiration, Plutona features a pretty disparate group of kids with archetypal personalities. Teddy is obsessed with cape spotting, which is basically bird watching but with superheroes. Ray is the bully with a secret abusive home life. Diane is the fun, upbeat one. Mai is the angry tough girl that's stuck babysitting her younger brother, etc, etc. The characters are familiar, but Lemire and Lennox bring a bit more depth to their personalities, which keeps them from seeming cookie cutter. I also appreciated how they added some diversity to the group in terms of race, gender, and body type. Uh, Mai and her brother are Asian American. Diane is overweight. The group is about half female.
0: Uh, Mai's brother doesn't really count. He's more of a pet than a character, so I'm not counting him (laughs) in that count. I also liked that not only did they have a diverse group, but like there's a fat girl in the group and bully guy calls her fat, teases her about being fat. You know what? That's what kids do. Yes, absolutely. I was like we're the friends, we're a diverse group of you know. Like no, well, yeah, they're not the get al- and you know, they're, they're not know. the get along gang. No, they're, yeah, it
2: was believable. They're not even friends. They're they're not really. M- my and Diane are friends, right?
0: And that's it. They but just you, kind of know each even other. Even my like uses Diane a little bit, but in the way kids do. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, it's like I like that jacket. Can I wear it? She's like, Yeah, I, I guess, but it's you know, my yeah, because <laughs> Diane,
2: Diane wants to be accepted. Yeah, it's it's all very real. I wasn't familiar with Emmy Lennox before this, but I know she has a pretty popular webcomic. Her style is fairly simplistic and stylized, but she's a great storyteller. And I say simplistic, but I mean that in the same way that Jeff Lemire's art is simplistic. Things aren't rendered to death, like you'd see in a Jim Lee comic or something, but the world these characters inhabit feels real and complete nonetheless. There's a backup story that Lemire draws himself that adds a layer of tragedy to the death of Plutana. We're given a reason to care that she's dead beyond what's going to happen to the kids that find her body. In other words, Lemire makes Plutona a character in her own right and not a prop to propel the story. I really enjoyed this book. It's supposed to be ongoing. I'm not really sure how long this particular story can go. If you've got a series that's scheduled to run 15 or 20 issues and that's it. Is it really an ongoing? I'm, maybe they have 200 issues. The, the semantics semantics. Semantics. <laughs> Semantics aside, whatever Lemire and Lennox have planned, I'm along for the ride. I'm giving it a buy it.
0: Yeah, this was a lot of fun and unpredictable, very human, very well written. It's one thing that comics gets wrong all the time is kids. Yeah. Kids are hard as hell to write. And Lemire, it's fantastic. Yeah. Really good. Totally. I don't know if he spent time with high school kids or has high school kids or whatever, but these I don't were, even know if these are high school kids. They seemed younger they to kind me. Of struck me as maybe like freshmen. I thought maybe like, like bully kid, sixth might be grade, like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Oh, I thought they were older than that. Yeah. But regardless, very believable characters. Good story. Lemire's backup story really did add something to yeah. the story of uh, this character and make you go, "Oh man, she's actually very real and very human as well." Huge vibe. I love it.
1: So I tell them-
0: So that's a
2: double buy it for and Trouble number 1 and a double buy it for Plutona number 1 or Plutona. I can't decide how it's pronounced. Plutona. Plutona. As always, we want to know what you Coven members and dead superheroines thought of these comics, so cast a spell on the THN forums by clicking the forum button at twittednerd.com.
0: While the real Tom Brady won his case in court and is free to return to the cheating patriots for Game 1, Fantasy Tom Brady, his hypothetical counterpart, hasn't been faring so well. So, just days before our fantasy draft, Joe and I hired none other than Phil Grayfield, super pro himself, to bust hypothetical Tom Brady out of fantasy football prison before I'm forced to pick Ryan Fitzpatrick in the third round. Now, join us on the daring rescue where we fight our way through an army of fantasy football prison guards. Ray Rice, Adrian Peterson, and a legion of other players no one will draft because of their run-ins with the law while we review ten more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Football words! (laughs) Ludicrous speed! Go! Go! Aliens, Vampirella, number one from Dynamite. I'm a little fuzzy on this whole bad girl thing, but as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are good bad girls like Vampirella and bad bad girls like Purgatory, spelled with an I, yeah, you, spells at the stripper way. Right, you got it. Okay. Here, good bad girl Vampirella is helping mankind settle Mars when her team is attacked by H.R. Geiger's most famous monster, the Xenomorph. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll bet you can see where this one is going. I have to say, it was quick and painless read, and the art wasn't bad at all. I'm giving it a skim it. It's kind right. of fun. I don't know why she's there. I don't know why there's aliens. I don't know why people know who Vampirella is, understand that she's a vampire, and they're cool with it. She's an alien. Oh, the- that's right. Vamparella is an alien from the planet Draculon. That's right. I forgot. It just happened to be called Draculon.
2: Well, where do you think he got the name, man?
0: <laughs> Danger girl, renegade number one from IDW. Abby Chase is back, doing
2: what she does best. This time, we get a glimpse of her unusual upbringing, darting around the globe, on the run from her father's enemies. Look, say what you will about Danger Girl in general, but I thought this was pretty decent. A good story by Andy Hartnell, lovely Dodson-esque art by Stephen Molnar. It was well done, fun, action-adventure. I'm going to give it a buy
0: it. We have given Andy Hartnell's Danger Girl, every issue we've read, a buy it. Look, I don't give a about danger girl they're good but they do a good job with They're it. fun yeah midnighter number four from dc just like omega men no one seems to be reading the midnighter and it's a damn shame steve orlando has breathed new life into one of my favorite wildstrom characters and developed this title into a buddy story with dick grayson grayson and midnighter have had multiple appearances in each other's books and i love their relationship are they really buddies yeah well uneasy buddies. They're spies working a different sure. for different things both with the same intention. Same agenda. Only a Midnighter cuts people's heads off and Dick Grayson is a nice guy. Right. Stephen Mooney is on our here and he's not my favorite but the story of Dick and Midnighter cleaning out a club where rich Russians killed chained up vampires was excellent. This book is so damn good. I'm begging you to pick it up before it gets cancelled. Save the Midnighter and buy this. The Threat, number one from Stratum Comics.
2: The fine folks at Stratum Comics sent us this issue for review. This is actually a rebooted version of The Threat that they're currently trying to fund through Kickstarter. We'll talk more about that later. Yes, we will. The Threat is set in a dark future after a world governmental collapse, and corporate rule and cyber-slash-biotechnology is the new way of life. And a superpower virus has been unleashed on the world. It's crazy. There's a lot going on. Woo! This new edition features an updated story by creators Mark Schmidt and Vince uh, Chutter? sure. and completely redrawn art by Jose Fernandez. I compared the two versions and found that they did a great job improving the look of the book and pacing of the story. My main criticism is that there is a whole hell of a lot packed into this issue and it jumps around in time so much that it's a little hard to keep track of all the moving parts and how they fit together. Still. These guys are doing great work. That shows a lot of potential. Get over to stratumcomics.com and check them out. I'm giving this a buy it. You see what happens? You send us your stuff, and if I remember that you did it, I will review it on the show. There you go. Omega
0: Man number four from DC. According to the monthly sales in this title, I am one of only a few of you out there paying attention to the Omega Man, which is too damn bad because Tom King is writing a fantastic slow burn story here that's given the Omega Men a purpose and an identity they've lacked since the 1980s. King is playing on the old Citadel War story that Keith Giffen came up with in the first series and thrown now ex-Green Lantern Kyle Rayner into the mix. Tom Hutchinson takes art duties on this issue and his weird angular style is just awesome. Watching Kyle Rayner sort of give this brief history of his time in the Green Lantern universe with Tom Scioli looking art, it was awesome. Awesome. Whoa. Oh. So cool. This series might be just too beautiful to live, though. I'm giving it a buy it. I love Omega Man. It's great. I've only read the first two. Shows. No one is reading it. Eight House, number three, from Image. Correct me if I'm
2: wrong, but the Arc Light story from the first two issues did not come to a conclusion, right? I don't think so. <laughs> okay, I don't think so either. <laughs> Regardless, a new story, Kim, starts this issue, co-written and illustrated by the monstrously talented... Zerxo, Zerxo G. Penalta. Wow. Or Zerzo. Don't ask me to explain the complex plot in just a few seconds I have here, but trust me when I say that this was another amazing issue of Eight House, and Penalta's hyper-detailed art is absolutely breathtaking. If you're a fan of intensely smart sci-fi that doesn't hold your damn hand, then you need to be reading this series by it. It doesn't hold your hand or end. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know what. Maybe they all tie together. Uh, well, there's. Oh, they're to. all supposed to set yeah, in the same universe, right? universe. Yeah, Mockingbird, Shield 50th anniversary one shot
0: from Marvel. For some reason, surely tied to her appearances on Agents of Shield, Marvel decided Mockingbird needed a one shot, but it has to be part of the Shield 50th birthday party because she started as a Shield agent. I know, but I guess my invite was lost in the mail, and this didn't do much of anything for me. The Mockingbird story was cute. With great art by Joelle Jones, we also meet Red Widow in her own little backup story by Margaret Stoll, who also happens to have a brand new Black Widow novel in stores called Black Widow, Forever Red. I didn't much care for the backup story, and the idea of Kid Widow does nothing for me, especially when she's carrying two electric samurai swords. I mean, really, it's so 1995. Whatever, electric samurai swords, I'm in. (laughs) Save yourself five bucks and leave it. Deadpool versus Thanos, number one from Marvel. It's weird because I've heard that this pretty good. The, I'm telling you, the first story was pretty good, but not worth five bucks for this really cheesy backup story featuring some kid Black Widow that seems to have nothing to do with the Black Widow, unless maybe she does. You maybe you're I, just a sexist. Ah. I think I'm
2: finally ready to admit that I've grown out of Deadpool. Yeah. I'll always love the Joe Kelly run, and the new movie looks pretty great. But every time I pick up a new Deadpool comic, I shrug and think, it's okay, I guess. This time, Tim Seeley pairs with artist Elmo Bondock Where are they finding these names? for a story (laughs) that thrusts the Merc with a Mouth into the Marvel Cosmic Arena. I swear hockey
0: teams don't have names
2: this weird. (laughs) I mean, it's okay, I guess. The art's pretty good overall. And I'll give them this. Until I read this issue, I literally never once thought about dr doom ever taking off his armor why it's never occurred to me he takes his armor off i'm sure obviously i'm sure that he does gotta go to the bathroom sooner or later no way dude he pees right in that suit and it filters it out that's disgusting it converts it into
0: energy gross yeah it's a self-sustaining system he's powered by poop is that what you're telling me that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard what else do you think powers it Matt? (laughs) if not poop then
2: what skim it
0: Miracle Man by Gaiman and Buckingham. Number one from Marvel. Until I saw a preview for this one, I it until I saw a preview for this one, it hadn't dawned on me that I never read the Gaiman Buckingham Miracle Man stuff. So here I am checking out the reprints and they're just as weird and wild as the Alan Moore stuff I did read. Marvel is doing a wonderful job making these reprints look great and introducing this character to a new generation and old guys like me that never finished the series. They truly don't make comics this weird anymore, I'll say that. This was wackadoo, I'm giving it a buy it. <laughs> Daredevil number 18 from Marvel. Mark Wade and Chris
2: Somney finish their acclaimed run on The Man Without Fear with a near-perfect finale that clears the deck for incoming creators Charles Soule and Ron Garney. This will definitely go down as one of the greatest Daredevil runs of all time. Without and I'm a doubt. Really going to miss these guys. Luckily, Wade confirms in the letters page that the entire creative team is moving to a new Marvel series soon. He didn't say which one, and Marvel hasn't announced it yet. It's not the Avengers thing?
0: No, that's something else. Oh, that's him and uh, oh, yeah. Mah- Mahmoud Azra. That's right.
2: Huge buy it. Do not pass up Daredevil. Get to it. Yeah.
0: That is your little crit speed round, and "flock" is the sound of the midnighter decapitating a vampire with his damn hand, as seen in this week's issue of Midnighter number four. He like karate chops a vampire's head, but not at the neck, like about ear and eyeball. I uh, <laughs> just like, like through his through skull. his skull. <laughs> it was crazy. You've heard us yell about these new funny books. Now we want to hear from you. So head over to the, this week's comic section of the THN forums and decapitate us with your opinions karate chop them straight into
2: our skulls (laughs) we're all excited for a new muppet show even if it's set in an office instead of the variety show we all remember but i'm sure you were just as shocked as we were when you heard the news that kermit and miss piggy broke up perhaps even more shocking kermit is dating a different pig what the hell which leads us to the real question Why is a frog sexually attracted to a pig in the first place? It's weird. Hey, man, if you love differently, that's okay with us. Oh, unless you're a robot. I see. Yeah, robots are an abomination. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Today in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, we'll answer that question with the help of our associates, Dr. Psycho and Mr. Mind, who have agreed to probe Kermy's psyche to find the root of his strange love of pork. Matt... What do you say we leave the pros
0: to their work and discuss what we're excited to read next week? Sounds good. I am excited for Headlopper, number one, from Image. I knew you'd pick that one. (laughs) Written and drawn by Andrew McLean. Here's your solicit. Action, adventure, fantasy, decapitation. Apocalyptic girl creator, Andrew McLean. Brings the critically acclaimed indie hit to Image Comics. The dark-humored quarterly adventure begins with a double-sized first issue, with 80 pages of story and a premium pinup gallery for the regular price of just six bucks. Head Lopper is what you get if Mike McNola wrote an issue of Brian Woods Northlanders by way of James Stokoe's Orkstein. That was a quote from Multiversity Comics. You could have told me nothing else, and I'm in. The art looks cool as hell cartoony fun ridiculous it looks sort of like adventure time for adults <laughs> i'm excited joe patrick what are you pumped for my pick for next week is
2: tyson hesse's diesel number one from Boombox, with story and art by tyson hesse
0: i was hoping this was like a vin diesel autobiography <laughs> and uh, i saw the cover it's not no
2: here's your solicit deandra diesel isn't very good at anything the daughter of the late tungsten diesel she has yet to live up to her father's great reputation her childhood rival has inherited control of her family's airship and left Deandra. The only job she's qualified for picking up the trash. But all that changes when a mysterious flying engine crashes into diesel's life and takes her on a journey through the skies. You might be asking yourself, Joe Patrick, when arguably the second biggest star Wars comic book of the year is being released next week. Why would you pick Tyson Hesse's diesel? Number one, star Wars doesn't need any help. Hey, yeah, star Wars doesn't need any help. And trust me I'll get to it. But I am a big fan. A oh, big fan is a stretch. I am a fan of Tyson Hesse. He okay. did a uh uh he did a webcomic called Boxer Hockey which is about this group of dudes that are professionals in this weird sport involving uh slinging frogs across a field hockey pitch. Uh it's it's bonkers. It's okay. a it's a comedy. It's very <laughs> funny. His art is great. And Boom is likening this to stuff like Tank Girl, maybe not quite as mature as Tank Girl. Uh, Rocket Girl, certainly. But it's also got a very Miyazaki feel, like Howell's Moving Castle. Yeah, kind it looks of. very
0: fantastic.
2: And it looks great. I like Hesse's other work, and I saw his name on the list and I was like, oh, I like that, dude. I lost track of boxer hockey long ago. I'm interested to check it out.
0: Okay. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Descender, Volume 1, 10 Stars, from Image Comics written by Jeff Lemire with art by Dustin Wynn, 136 pages for 10 bucks. That's awesome. I love that they do this. That's like six comics worth. At least. Could be more. Maybe nine. No. Maybe thirty. Here's your solicit. Man. One young robot struggle to stay alive in a universe where all androids have been outlawed and bounty hunters lurk on every planet. A rip-roaring, heartfelt, cosmic odyssey that pits humanity against machine and world against world to create a sprawling space opera from the creators of Trillium, Sweet Tooth, and Lil' Gotham. It collects Descender, one through six. Oh, so we were, yeah, six. Six, six we issues. We were right all Descender is fan-friggin-tastic. And it's if you're so not good. reading it... You're missing out on one of the best books on the stand. No hyperbole. It's beautiful, wonderfully written, and you can get one through six for ten bucks. You go try and pick up Bitch One on eBay right now, it's selling for about twelve dollars.
2: Even if you bought one through six off the stands when they were brand new, it would have costed you eighteen or twenty bucks. Nice use of costed. It would have costed you. <laughs> it would have costed you for twenty dollars. <laughs> okay i'll buy that i'll buy that as it turns out kermy's love of pigs stems from a disturbingly low self-esteem rooted in america's disdain for frog legs as a delicacy i look i understand kermy it seems he's projected feelings of protein inadequacy onto a more delicious animal the pig resulting in his interspecies sexual confusion steep stuff wow right we're not even trained Matt, I'm going to take a turn on the couch to uh, work through some post-traumatic
0: comic shop memories. No shame in that. No judgment here.
2: In the meantime, why don't you guys let us know what you're excited to read next week over at the THN Forums.
0: What you're about to hear is real. The participant is not an actor. They're an actual person who's filed suit... To appear in front of the two-headed judge to plead their case for their controversial nerd tastes. The plaintiff has agreed to accept our verdict of either f***ing awesome or f***ing awful in our forum. This is The Defenders. Today on The Defenders, longtime
2: THN forums user and occasional love slave Hebrews presents his defense of the Star Wars Clone Wars micro-series, animated movie, and animated TV series. Mr. Hebrews... You may approach the bench.
1: Hey, this is Ryan Mount, Space Esquire, also known as Hebrews, calling in to defend Star Wars, the Clone Wars. Now, many of you may have blamed my defendant, the Clone Wars, on the prequel movie that came with the same name. But I'm here to tell you that that is just misinformation. And you have wrongly judged my client the Clone Wars, the extended universe. It's really
2: playing up this whole legal I thing. I love it, I
1: love exhibit it. Exhibit A, the micro series, 2003. It really established the Jedi's as a formidable fighting force and suspended the disbelief we have while watching the prequel movies, perhaps because of animation. And it really made the Jedi's generals and badasses. You remember when Princess Leia called Ben Kenobi General in that famous message of the original movies? Well, in the micro series, he earns his stripes here. It was also the return for some Jedi for what they were intended to be, Samurai and Ronin. It is not just because it was created by the Samurai Jack creators, but Mace Windu really felt the part. George Lucas always wanted them to be that type of mysterious swordsman when he tried to cast Toshio Mufunu, who played Yojimbo in the Samurai movies. Um, which would uh, be Americanized into the Westerns with Clint Eastwood uh, such as Fistful of Dollars. Then we move into the Clone Wars movie of uh, 2009. I simply defended because of the feeling this movie gave to me and to many Star Wars fans. It gave us that feeling of where was this the whole time? And the, my exact words were you know, why don't we get this all the time? I want more of this. And that's something no prequel did. So I'd take that feeling any day of the week. Wouldn't all of you? And then we move into the TV the show that came out of. <laughs> Objection! it had all the things that we love. All the rules. You had Darth Maul, where he came from, and why he's such a badass. And even more, it showed that he wasn't even the most terrifying of the tribe. Then you had the Timothy Zahn for the old fans like me introduce us to Emperor's Hand with Marla Jade in the Extended Universe. Well, I think we got a new Marla Jade in Ventress in the TV show. We all love bounty hunters. We grew up with Boba Fett. As a matter of fact, I have Boba Fett's signature hanging on my wall. Um... But I think after the movies with Django and young Boba, he
0: knows both that's it not really real left person, a bad case in our mouth.
1: So what do they do? Push him aside and give us something else. What would happen if Han Solo really was a bad guy? You get Cad Bane, a really bad guy with terrible motives playing both sides. Um, and I really think it took the series in kind of a darker face or maybe some more adult, but also, you know, gave the kids somebody to root against as well. And it also gave us a really empowering uh, parts of the universe. You had Princess Leia, you had Senator Amidala, but these new heroes in the series, they carried a lightsaber. They're much more capable. They gave us many examples of what a strong woman and girl could be. Also, because of the short runtime, I really think is that it forced it to be better storytelling when you have a long form movie you tend to get clunky dialogue and long exposition well in this it's all taken out you're given only what you need and you really got great voice acting throughout the entire series um in both in both the movie the tv show and the micro series um you really got to play with genres you really got to get an extended universe that I think we all wanted after even the first time we saw the three movies which is why we read the books growing up and now we get to share this with you know not just the kids who grew up with Star Wars but for the next ones um, you know and that's really important and this is why I must think that if Luke Skywalker's glove don't fit you must acquit oh wow thanks guys <laughs> wow wow
0: uh, a mistrial. I <laughs> declared a yeah, mistrial. Uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Thank you for that argument, Hebrews. And uh, I think we have some stuff to discuss here. Uh, I moved to strike the Gendi Tardakovsky
2: non-CGI Clone Wars shorts from this case. Exempt them from this
0: case. I think I agree. Because we all agree they were awesome.
2: And also they were part of a much... Uh, they were separate from the Clone Wars right. ongoing narrative. It was a much more special, limited, yes, exciting thing,
0: and like very much prequel type thing. And everyone can agree that those are they awesome. were incredible. I would argue they were more Star Wars than anything that happened in episodes one, two, and three. Yeah. <laughs> they were great. So we're gonna strike those. We're gonna so go we're, right into the close. We're exclusively
2: Wars. talking about the CGI animated.
0: We're going right into the Clone
2: movie Wars. and cartoon series that ran for five seasons on TV with a
0: sixth season on Netflix. So he liked how it built the universe, this wider you, and I'll give him. It definitely did. We got to see some stories with some characters that we may not have met before, and some other characters fleshed out a little bit. Sometimes that was a good thing. In the case of Cad Bane, who is a cool character, has a much cooler name than Count Poo Poo, for example. But there were other times where it didn't work out so well. I would introduce Ashoka. I hated that stupid character, and it makes no sense. None whatsoever that somehow Anakin has a Padawan when he was never made a Jedi master. There was one master and one Padawan. Yoda f- told me that. Okay. I heard that from Yoda and all of a sudden he's running around with a Padawan. Yeah. Well, and this she's is... like snarky little girl. Padawan I was like, I don't think so. You know, Oh God. But Horrible. from
2: everything that I've heard, well, how much of this show have you actually watched? I watched like the first, I watched the whole first
0: season. I watched the whole. From first everything that I heard, she grew into a really amazing character, and she did. They they stopped the like smart street smart sassy crap. Which it's like you're a Jedi. No, you don't act like that. You're not Miley f-ing Cyrus. All right, you're a Jedi. Take yourself seriously. So I watched the first twenty minutes of the very first
2: episode of Clone Wars, and there was so much Roger Roger bull
0: that I had to turn it off. <laughs> that was yeah, I couldn't take it. I don't care about the droids. I don't care about anything from episode 1 really at all.
2: Right. And no, and I like I have defended shows in the past where people have said where I have said, you just got to give it time. You got to give it time. You got to make it into into
0: a season. And I kept doing. It. And I get it. I kept doing it. I was like, "Okay, oh great. Now you're hitting me with wacky C3PO stories." Now you're hitting me with wacky Jar Jar Binks But you got to back up and realize that this is a program for children. I get it. It is not for you. It's a cartoon for children. I get it. But they also wanted it to be very serious because there were also scary, serious moments. But there's going to be that fun, goofy stuff, too. And you have to take uh, it all. It just stuck out too much for me. And Jar Jar, I'm sorry. That's just capital offense. That's not even a name that I ever want to say out loud again. Okay. I think we should just strike it from the history books, like the way that Germany treats World War II. They're like, what? No, I mean, I thought it was a while ago. Who can remember that? You know, (laughs) screw that. And I'm not saying I hated the show, I didn't hate it, but there were things about it that graded on me so intensely. And yeah, it's not for me, it's for kids. And I have several friends that watched it with their kid, with their own children. And they're like, this is the best, man. My kid digs it. I am watching a Star Wars thing. It's great. Yeah, some of it's a little hokey, whatever. I'm just being a mean old dick. And I'm saying there was stuff in there that I found so grating and awful. And from what I understand, they got away from that. Uh, later on, like in season two whenever whatever, it, it sort of became a little more serious. The stakes got a little higher. It yep. wasn't.
2: So, given that neither one of us has what I would consider an appropriate amount of experience with this particular program...
0: I think we have to rule with the plaintiff.
2: Or are we just... Do we declare
0: mistrial? Are we a hung jury? No, I I mean, I think I have to rule with him. Because he's right in the sense that it introduced some really good characters. It introduced some much better characters than we got in episode one, two, and three. It had... Definitely better storylines. It felt tighter. It felt more Star Wars. There was the, the bird beak droids. There was Jar Jar. There was C3PO. There's some stupid shit going on. But I have to say, it did feel more Star Wars to me than the three prequels. Where I'm at is that
2: I mean, I didn't even make it through one whole episode before I went, I can't handle this right now. Yeah. And it wasn't that I was never going to go back to it. It's just that in that moment, I couldn't, I wasn't into the, in the mood
0: to put up with it. I had to stop. Well, then the question is, has his argument swayed you in
2: where I'm it out? where I'm at is that there, I have heard so much anecdotal evidence, not just from Ryan, but from Wooly Toots. Yeah. Occasional guest host, Keith Binder, and a number of other people that have
0: said, Oh no, 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 no. Yeah. It's great. Our lawyer, Ryan Forrest, loves it. Uh, w- My buddy, Justin Kozicek. Jason, co-owner of Legend. From the Marvel Toy Podcast. I can't remember what it is. I can't remember what they call it. Marvel Toy Podcast. Marvelicious? Marvelicious Toy Podcast. One of our first gigs. It was, uh, was our first gig.
2: So, yeah. I mean, I have heard so much anecdotal evidence that I have no choice but to find in favor of Star Wars The Clone
0: Wars. We're calling it f- awesome. And I'm going to go back and, and give it another chance. I think we have to rule in favor of the plaintiff and call it f- awesome. Agreed. That's real plug in the gavel noise. Ryan, thank you very much for submitting
2: your case to the court. If you have some questionable nerd tastes you'd like to defend, post a brief description of your case in the defender section at the THN forums, and you could have your case decided by the Honorable Judge Joe and Matt. That's one word, like... Yeah. We're we're one body, two heads. Yeah. Sort of break it it down like this.
0: And that is it for the Return to Football Humor episode of THN. Oh, great. I really missed it. If you're into mixing sports jokes with your nerd discussion, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, please... Please leave us your star ratings, your written reviews, and your thumbs up. Guys, it's super important, and it really does help us to reach out to other people. If you got a couple minutes, I'd love it. Thank you
2: to all of our donors, and if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at at 2 If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line sponsorship. Just so you know, we're not making
0: doing this show. We do it for you guys and because we love it. And every time one of you donates anything, it means a lot to us. It's a huge help, yes. While at 2 you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, Tumblr, where we post the weekly outtake, and you can find the Ziggurat Hotline, the most important phone number you'll ever need. 402-819-4894. Call us. Just say hey. Feel free. And don't forget to sign up for the THN Forums. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat. We talk about it all the time because we love it. There you can discuss this week's show. You can ask us to review your self-published comics. You can learn more about our segments and how you can be a part of them. Or you can just rap about comics.
2: Quick shout out to iTunes user f one who left us our most recent review and the title of it is look what you have Zigger rot oh wow
0: amazing <laughs> amazing <laughs> just dried my whole head out
2: <laughs> if you dig the music you hear on the show you can follow our soundtrack playlist
0: on spotify by searching for matt bomb's spotify profile that's b-a-u-m Morning. it is terrifying yeah this is some crazy crap <laughs> before we go our weekly shout out goes to the entire THN sucker fantasy football squad who are primed and ready for another year of virtual gridiron combat word to all you fools by the way it's high stakes this year the winner walks with my pug beeps a living trophy <laughs> very high stakes we're trying to figure out a way to get uh, mrs bomb to take it seriously turns out this will do the trick i hope you like losing losers until next time true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics, because your retailer might not trade you Tony Romo for three of your mediocre wide receivers if you don't. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.